some of those Olympic categories are based on speed. Uh, I'm looking particularly forward to the the men's swimming because uh, there are a couple of Americans there that uh, are kind of neck and neck and and uh, just kind of waiting for that. So you would think when it comes to swimming or running or this morning I had biking the biking on that's not as exciting until the very end because you know they just keep showing bikes going down the road and you know you go take a shower come back same bikes going down the road you know eat breakfast same bikes hey, there they are uh, but at any rate it's uh, it's won by speed how fast you are and you say well how do you win an, a, an Olympic category like swimming you would say well you got to be fast that's not the answer really because everybody who has made it to the Olympics are fast, right? I mean, there's no one there that is there because they're slow. I mean, I definitely would not be there in the Olympics, but they're there because they're already fast. The person who will get the gold, you know where I'm going. Has to, why? Because it's plastered all over this room. Has to be fast what? Enough. Not just fast, but fast enough. See, that word enough changes the entire equation of the formula. If you say, you'll see up here on the wall that we went through a whole collection called 212. Um, uh, 212, uh, 212 degrees water boils. It doesn't boil at 150 it doesn't boil at 206 or even 211.5. It's not hot. It's hot. If you, if you touch a 211 degree water, stick your hand down it, it's going to be hot. But it's not hot enough to boil. You see, it takes that little flip of enough to boil the water and then as this sign aptly says when it's boiling it's steaming and then that steam is enough to actually drive tonnage like a locomotive in our own spiritual walk we say we make generic statements i do i love you but when you attach the word enough to it it changes the entire perspective let me tell you from a biblical point of view that God expects us to live an enough uh, way of life. Let's take the most basic of all, the core of all of our faith, which is love. You see, Jesus comes along and says, I know you think you got the formula down, but let me turn it in an angle that perhaps you haven't seen. Because what happened to those folks in, in Christ's day, as it happens to us, is we begin to define our own uh, definition, make our own definition of what love is, let's say, just using that as an example. And say, well, I love you this way, but I'm not going to go this far, etc. In Matthew chapter 5, we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said these words. Hey, if you love those who love you, in verse 46, if you love those who love you, basically saying, big deal. Because see, that's easy. I love people who love me. I love them. 
It's easy to love people. I have some people that don't like me, believe it or not. I'm a nice guy, but I say things that tick people off. I rub people the wrong way. As a leader, it just comes with the, the, the turf. You have to say no to certain things. People get angry at me and think that I'm uh, not a not-so-great guy. People who really know me well know that I'm not so, such a great guy. And so, But there are people that don't like me. There are probably people that don't like you. Big deal. Of course, we already know they're harder to love, aren't they? Uh, my mom loves me. I could get up and... And play harmonica. And my mom would say, you know, Stephen, in a southern accent, that is the absolute best harmonica playing I've ever heard in my life. She's no longer objective with her son. Anything I do is wonderful. It's easy to love my mom. She loves me. Jesus is saying, hey, that's not enough. So if you love those who love you... What reward will you get? Even the tax collectors are doing that. Those are the bad guys of the story. And if you greet only your own people and you hang out and it's us four and no more, what are you doing more than others? That's not enough to show that you are different, that you are a God follower. That's, you're looking like everybody else. Don't even the Pagans, I almost said penguins. Don't even penguins do it better than the pagans. <laughs> don't even the penguins do that? It's in my version. I don't know if you have that animal version. They've made, you know, youth versions, carpenter version. I got the animal version. Don't even those without God do that? Now, let me tell you where this collection that we're going to embark on it called enough comes from it comes from a personal failure i feel like as a leader it's healthy to say here's some areas where i've i'm working on and everybody can take a collective side because you think well dude you know i thought that guy up there had it all together and i you know feeling pretty i'll make you i'll make you feel good by the time the day is over Last year, uh, you know that um, I'm involved in this wall climbing uh, group, and it's tough. It's not easy. It's not, it's not child's play. You go down, and we're not just you know, having fun. There are lessons learned at this wall, and for me, not being in shape when I first went down, it was equally as tough. My friend Tom pulled uh, myself and another friend of mine, Jim, child aside one day last year. Uh, Tom has the gift of pulling people aside, if you know Tom. (laughs) And that's what I love about him. Because, see, this is where things get real. It's no longer just playing church and let's just be nice to each other. Can we get down? How many ministry, men's ministries have I been in where we sit around and eat honey buns and drink coffee at Panera and talk about the Bible? And it's like, really? Can we be men? Can we really put it where it needs to, to go? So we're down at the, the wall. Both Jim and I were probably 35, 40 pounds overweight. And Tom pulled us aside and, and you know, tapped our chest and said, Steve, Two words for you. It matters. It matters. This matters. For you to, to, to take your health seriously. And not just to drop the weight, to, but to have strength. Because Christ has told us to love him with all our heart, our mind, our strength, our soul. Those are not compartmentalized. Those are linked together. 
I was spent time this week with Chip Powell, who's going to launch his appetizer for the summer. I couldn't be more thrilled. This is not how to eat right. Don't eat Doritos. We already know all that. It's the why. Why do we? Why should we? So Tom said, "Let me lay it out for you. It matters. Here's why it matters. Your body is a gift. You're just managing it. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Number two, it matters because you're a leader." People are going to follow you whether you like it or not. They're going to follow what you do, your discipline, your lack of discipline, whatever that is. If you lack discipline, they're going to feel the freedom to lack discipline. You're a leader um, in a way that, hey, wake up. You have two young kids. You're in your 50s. You've got a, you two boys at home. I'm sure you don't want them to be sitting at your funeral when they're in the sixth grade, right? It matters to you, right, Steve? And you have a wife that's younger than you and far more prettier. And you don't want her to be a widow at a young age, right? Yeah. See, I embraced that. I got it at that moment. And it mattered. I'm like, wow. Thank God that our church is becoming honest. I've been in church all my life. And nobody ever said that to me. I embraced it so much that I said, man, I am going to tackle this thing. Many of you know, I jumped into P90X. That's a, an extreme workout for 90 days. You do six days. You take a day off. I did six days a week for 90 days. I tore it up. Never felt better in my life. I uh, took uh, pictures without a shirt on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Still not. laughs> and now we're going to show them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> And the three of you that come back next week will have an awesome time together. <laughs> I embraced it, man. I went through the whole 90 days. I, I went vegan. I mean, I just, you know, like anything else. After the 90 days, I said, man, mission accomplished. Felt really good about that. Mm, fell right off the wagon. Slowly. But surely, life, busyness, blah, 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 excuses, apathy, you, you name it. Till about two, week, two months ago, I'm sitting in a hotel in Orlando. I'm, I'm by myself, and I'm spending time with God, and it hits me. And I ask myself a tough question. What happened? And then I thought, it still matters, you see? I still love my kids, and I still don't want them to be at my funeral. I still understand that I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm still a leader as of this day. And I still have a beautiful wife. All that matters. And it mattered then two months ago, and it matters today. But you know where I'm going, right? It didn't matter enough. Because if it mattered enough, I would have kept it up. And from that moment, I'm like, i got to get over this thing and back in the rhythm, which I'm back in the rhythm. I'm not doing six days a week, but I'm back in the rhythm because every day when I look in the mirror, I look and say, does it matter enough? It changes how I ask the question because things can matter to us and we feel good that they actually matter to us. See, so over the next week, we're going to ask ourselves the question, do you care? Mm-hmm. Do you care enough? Are you desperate for God? We sing it all the time. Are you desperate enough to change a habit? 
Are you desperate enough that if you have to be at work at 6 to get out of bed at 5? That's what I ask myself. This morning, I got up at 3.30. I'm not boasting about that. I can wake up naturally that way. But honestly, I needed to get some things done. And I knew how much runway I needed to get them done. And as I laid in the bed, honest, before God, I asked myself this question. Steve... Are you desperate for God? Yes. Are you desperate enough to get up right now? I'm like, will you stop asking myself this question? I'm talking to me. (laughs) Quit it. (laughs) Tough question, right? Tough, tough question. This will be a soul-searching collection as we go and cover a wide spectrum of things where we add that word enough to. Today, before we get into the details of what matters enough or what is enough, do we care enough, love enough, desperate enough, and all those things, I'm going to attempt to elevate our thinking, to challenge you to elevate our thinking, to ask God, in fact, to elevate our thinking into a big picture. And the big picture, to ask ourselves, does the big picture, does it matter Enough, Because if I said to you, does the big picture matter? What do you mean by the big picture? What I mean by that is the, the spiritual warfare that we face as a collective team called the local church. Now, see, when it comes to spiritual warfare, and when I hear conversations going on, and I have my own conversations about spiritual warfare, what I have noticed over the last couple decades is that when people speak about the spiritual warfare, they individualize it extreme to the extreme. Wow, the devil is really kicking my pants this week. And it all becomes, the spiritual warfare all becomes about me and what is happening in my life or what's not happening right or where I sense there's oppression or there's attack or there's a a failure or whatnot and and it becomes about me. I'm challenging us to elevate our minds to say that is, although that is true, That the picture is bigger than just you or just me. It's about the church of Christ in the world. The church, by the way, that Jesus said to us that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, the church. So often when we're in that mode of thinking about spiritual warfare, we're thinking that it's us. It is not. We are important, but we are just one grain of sand in every seashore around this globe. Let me try to prove it to you. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 11, here's what we read. The Lord thunders at the head of his armies. Are you ready? His forces are beyond number and mighty are those who obey his command. That means that whatever number you have as as beyond number, so a billion times a billion, how much is that? Gotcha. Right, a lot. I'm going to call it a gajillion. All right, a gajillion times a gajillion cubed. What is that? A lot more, right? (laughs) Exactly. Whatever that number is in your mind where you just like, I don't know, that is the picture 
of the army of God. You see, the spiritual warfare is God's army together. Sure, you may be having a week, bad week. Sure, you may be under personal attack. But think higher. We are a team. It is not just us. It's what we do together. Are you willing to put on a jersey? You see, we live in such an individualized culture in America. Go on CNN, ABC, Fox News, any website you, of your choosing. We're, we're invited to give our personal blog, our response, our opinion, our input, and, and your opinion counts and all that stuff where we begin to actually believe that it's all about me instead of about we. In God's system, it's so much more about we all the time than it is about me. Watch our worship songs. Watch our literature. Watch the books that are being published in the Christian world. And there's so much about personal development. Where are the books about the army of God? Where are the writings that tell us to put on our uniform and march in step? Still individuals, still unique, still a snowflake, still a fingerprint, all those beautiful hallmark things. Yes, we don't take any of that away. But where is it to say, put on a uniform, put your boots on, strap them up like everybody else, and play team ball? Don't just be about what you're about. There's too much language these days about, nah, I don't know if I really want to be involved in that. I know that's what the church is doing. But I think I'm going to create something over here unique to myself. I'm going to, I know that the, here's, what, here's the, the very the, uh, clear sequence at this church that it's big and then mid and then small. And I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I, I want to do that. My, my message to you is, man, God calls you to either get in the flow in this army or find an army where you can get in the flow. If this is not your flow, no problem. We could use the chair. How's that? I mean, I know that's pretty rugged. Sorry. God loves you. And I would say that to any church. Our church, if I were a guest speaker down the street, I would say, get in the flow of whatever is going on here. I mean, if they got a basketball ministry and that's all they do, learn to play basketball. If you hate basketball and that's all they're doing, then find another place. But in this place, we are relationally driven. No escape from that. We care enough about people to grow relationships small enough to make a difference. In Ephesians chapter 2, I feel like I should end right there. That was on a high point. <laughs> I'm already screaming. What's up with that? Ephesians chapter 2, elevate your thinking to who you really are. You are no longer 
foreigners or aliens, but your fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Watch. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, we have a legacy with Christ himself. I feel like there should be an orchestra swelling behind me to say, man, this is an operation that's higher than myself. Sorry you had a bad week. I told you last week I had a bad week last week. But it's never just about that. It's seeing the bigger picture. When the army moves, do you move? When it's time to fight collectively, do you stand back and say, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm getting in this one. I'm I'm just not sure. My challenge to you is that there are some things in the Bible, mysterious, don't know about, some things as clear as a bell. There was never a time in the New Testament church where the expectation, whether that was serving, giving, learning together, reaching out, whatever that was, there was never a time There was never a time where there wasn't this expectation that of course we're all in. Of course we're part of it. Of course we're wearing a jersey. Does that matter enough to you? If I said, does the church of God matter to you? You'd say, yep, it does. Absolutely does. I know I'm a Christian. I believe the church isn't part of the Bible. I'm part of that. Does it matter enough for you to make a move? Two very different questions. Today, we're going to look at a song in the Bible. Um, For the last, oh gosh, long number of months, I have hovered in my own personal time with God in the book of Judges. I can't seem to get away from it. There, it just continues for me to become deeper and richer and more powerful as a leader. There's a lot in that book. If you know the Old Testament at all, with, which tracks the nation of Israel for the most part, you'll know that if you were to graph it out, it's like this. They love God, they're away from God. They love God, they're away from God. They love God, they're away from God. And so much of that was because of leadership. When the people would walk away from God, he often sent them a leader, be it a Moses or a David or an Elijah, and that leader would become a catalyst to elevate the people's thinking to say, no, you're missing the big picture here. We got to rise above it. But when they would, and then they would rise above it, and then that leader would die, and guess what would happen? There went the roller coaster. And when the roller coaster went down, they often found themselves oppressed by another country. This was how God had to get their attention because on their own, they would say, God matters, but God would say, not enough, because you're walking away from me. 
So I've got to send you a message. So this country would come in and oppress the nation of Israel for years. And then because times were tough, they would cry out to God and say, Oh, please, we're desperate for you. And they would amp up the worship service and they would, the preaching would scream more and all that. And, they, and then they would say, Please help us. And God would say, Okay, I'll send another leader. And then they would come right back up the hill. We find ourselves in Judges chapter 4 at one of these intersections. Ehud, who was one of these leaders that God sent to be a catalyst, and we find ourselves here now right on the top of the grid in the roller coaster in in Judges chapter 4 and verse 1, and Ehud died. Guess what's going to happen? The Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I told somebody last night, I'm going to write a book. It's going to be called Here We Go Again because we live as humans in these cycles of up and down. The Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of this enemy army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, um, in uh, Hagojayen. Uh, that's uh, probably not pronounced that way, if you didn't guess. Because Sisera had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites, get it, for two decades, guess what? Here we go again. They cried to the Lord for help. Now, here's what's happening. Let me, let me abbreviate what happens at this point. God called another leader. His name was Barak. I know, popular, popular name these days. His name was Barak. And God said, okay, you're going to be the catalyst that's going to elevate my people. Well, see, Barak had, had a character flaw. He was a chicken. And Deborah, who was a prophetess, very unusual for Old Testament culture, for a woman to be allowed to be elevated to this national prominence, place of national prominence. And Deborah said, dude, what's up? Something like that. Barak, God has called you to fight to be a catalyst, not for yourself, but for the nation. Does it matter? Can you hear her speaking to Barak? Does it matter? Oh, yeah, it matters. Does it matter enough? He said, it does. Um, If you'll go with me, I'll be good. That's what he said. This man, this leader of God, turned to Deborah and said, if you'll go with me, I'll go. Answer to the question, no, it doesn't matter enough. You see, you're concerned, Barack, about your own personal welfare, basically. What might happen to you if you step out and go to war? You may get hurt, killed, lose a lot of men, all that stuff. You're not elevated to the place like, it matters enough for me to do whatever it takes. Sign me up. Here I go. And so Deborah said, okay, fine. I'll commandeer the thing, but I'm telling you in advance that if I go with you, you're not going to receive the honor of the leader and you're not going to get the jazz of the whole operation. So she commandeered it. And 
the Lord routed the enemy. That's how these battles were actually won. Cicero, the enemy commander, was the only one who escaped. Um, gross part of the story. Uh, he went back to the camp where his wife was, who had already turned as a traitor against him. He lay down to sleep. She gave him some comfort food, probably potato salad and uh, turkey. He fell asleep. She took a tent peg and drove it right through the temple of his head. I like the Bible. I would say to you that this is like a Hollywood movie, but let's get it straight. This came first. Hollywood movies are like this. In the right order. She drove a stake right through his head. And then what happened is what so often happens at these moments of victory. They sang a song. You see, our worship should be such that we've lived our life through the week. And when we come in, we're like, wow, God's done something. Please don't tell me to put my hand down because, wow, I'm excited. Just an aside. And they started this song in Judges chapter 5. On that day, in verse 1, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. Watch. When the princes in Israel take the lead. Now, there was music to this. Unfortunately, we don't have... Uh, any archaeological finds of mp3s or music manuscripts so we don't know how it went but um i won't even try to sing it but um as i did last night but uh it 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 went something like this when the princes in israel take the lead when the people willingly offer themselves let's not skim over something so critical in this moment there were princes in Israel. There were leaders already in place. They were dormant. You see, we're told, Deborah is saying, when the princes of Israel take the lead. See, you can be a leader and not take the lead. There are leaders in this room that for whatever reason are dormant maybe domesticated, have lost their wildness for God. It's okay to be wild for God. You know, those guys that stand on the sidelines in a game, like a football game, and they never stop moving. They're wild, but they're wild about the game. They're wild about the team. Put me in. Can I go in now? Put me in now. Put me in now. Not this guy. Not the princes. They're like, hmm. There's a game going on. Yeah. We're getting beat up. Yeah. The team needs leaders who will care enough to put a jersey on and get in the flow of the army. Because at this place, with this vision... We're not looking for people to be in charge. We're looking for people who have character, who say, I will get in. Whatever is going on, man, count me in. I want to be in the flow. And we look at the flow and say, wow, there's a leader who offers themselves willingly. That is who we're looking for. I don't care if you're a stockbroker or a doctor or a fireman and you're in charge of where you work. doesn't matter on the God team. What matters in the God team is if we're playing with a jersey on in the team that he's given us called the local church. Are you rowing? 
Are you swimming? Are you playing with the team? You remember when Moses was doing it all by himself? Don't know if he had a control freak issue. Not sure, but his father-in-law came to him and said, Dude, you're doing it all by yourself. And there were millions of people, and he couldn't find one single leader. They were there already. Jethro said, Look, look out. I've told you before, somebody did the math. He found about 130-some thousand leaders who were already there. See, they're here. But what happens to us is that we say, oh, man, I've been burned in church, dude. I, I used to do that. It, 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 it just, it's, it's all I can, I, I just want to come to church. Listen, there's a time when God says to you, it's over. It wasn't about you then. It was never about you then. It's about something larger than you. It wasn't about the train wreck that you had 15 years ago or 15 weeks ago or 15 days ago. You see, you're important, but you're an important grain of sand in the army of God. It's about the army of God. It's not about what happened to you last Thursday or in 1979. Am I being too rough? Now, this song is penetrating. In verse 7, he says, Warriors in Israel ceased. I'm like, oh, man, I hate it when I see a warrior that God has called. I'm calling you to fight in the army. And they've ceased. Are there ceased warriors sitting here today? Are there? That you know God has called you to toughen up, to, to love him enough, to say it matters enough for me to rise above whatever it was that is holding me back or whatever it is that's holding me back. Does it matter enough where you'd say, I'm in. I'm in. I'm tired of letting my warriorship cease. Watch the next word, until I, Deborah, arose, a catalyst who had the honesty to say, come on, wake up. It's bigger than you. Wake up. And then what we see is a contrast in this song. There's some praise for those that it mattered enough. In verse 14 of chapter 5 in Judges, some came from Ephraim whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. And, and they're like, yeah, the way to go. It mattered enough for Makir. Captains came down from Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. You see, these were the guys that were bouncing on the sidelines. They were saying, oh, let me in. Oh, really? We've had 20 years of this junk. And now you're calling us to action? Yes, sir, it matters enough. Put me in. I'm coming from Ephraim. I'm coming from Machir. I'm coming from Zebulun. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Baruch. Watch, rushing after him into the valley. Who says the word of God is boring? You got to picture it. You got to live it. These guys were like rushing into the valley. There is no hesitation whatsoever then the song turns you know every song's got different parts there's a bridge and a chorus and a verse and whatnot this is where we change in the song and the chords start to get a little minor districts of reuben in verse 16 watch there was much searching of heart 
Should we go? Should we not go? Man, I love this nation, man. I know the history. My father taught me the history of this nation, of what his father did and his grandfather did. Man, I remember the stories of them crossing. I, I love this nation. It matters. It's, this really matters. I'm searching. See, it says that there was much searching. Should I or should I not? Man, there goes Zebulun. Wow, looks like they're in. Wow, there goes Bob. Looks like he's developing some relationships here. Man, there's Jim on top of a roof. You see, we start to see the troops pour in. Man, I heard a story about somebody's life change because this whole small circle thing. I'm starting to feel some movement here. It's a lot of searching of heart. Hmm. Wonder if I should get in an ad group. Wonder if I should migrate and get out of the comfort here and migrate into something deeper. Wonder if the much searching of heart. Hmm. It matters. Then in verse 16, why did you stay then among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? What they mean is at the, at the end of the night, shepherds would sit around and they'd do you know, campfire songs to calm the sheep. And to, it was the end of the day. Christianity for them or following God for them had turned into a campfire. Much, after much searching, I think I'll stay here by the campfire. In the districts of Reuben, we say it again. There was much searching of heart. Twice he says it. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? And Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. Staying and lingering and remaining are words that are against the team. Just saying it. The team needed them. They needed these grains of sand to fight in the army of God. But they individualized it. And when you look, it was Reuben who wanted a campfire Christianity, a campfire faith where it's all about warm and fuzzy. Ooh, I don't like that crazy man up there screaming. I wish he'd bring in the 23rd Psalm or something nice. I'll flip to the TV channel where there's that guy that's, it's all about joy and peace and love. It's not. We are in a fierce warfare. And those who are against the church are also beyond number. Don't ever forget it. It's huge, church of God. It's huge. Dan, we're told he lingered by the ships. This was a huge shipyard in this region. You know what what held him back? Work, 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 work. I love my family. But there's a time, and my family matters. Just being confession number two. Told you I'd make you feel really good. There are some times where I'm like, Steve, does it matter enough for you to shut off your computer and quit working and go sit with your boys. Does it matter that much? I ask myself these questions. It's something I wrestle with. And I believe the church wrestles with it. Dude, I can't get in that group, man. I, got, I can't even find one single night of the week where I could meet, really. You're too busy. Quite frankly. 
I can't give to the army of God. Man, I'm, I'm so overloaded. Yeah, you're too overloaded. Does it matter enough? Does work an overload? Asher said, look, I'd like just to, to remain on the beach, the coast. We get that, right? And stay in my coves. You know what his greatest challenge was, that tribe? Safety. They were afraid. Oh, man, how many times have I heard it? I, I can't get in a small group, dude. I, you know, just makes me uneasy. God is saying, it's the army. Don't you think those boys in the Civil War, when they stood on that front line, their heart was beating, their mouth was dry, their blood pressure was elevated? Don't you think those boys coming down from Zebulon, don't you think those young men with weapons in their hand going against 900 chariots were nervous? And these guys saw them from their coves and said, you know, you, good for you. I think I'll stay right where I am. Okay, here comes the hard part. If you didn't think that was hard enough. In verse 23, God says this, but here's the big picture. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come. Why? To help the Lord. To help the Lord against the enemy, the mighty. The enemy is mighty. The army of God needs for you and you and you and you and you and you and me. The army of God needs it for us, for it to matter enough that we quit playing and we get involved and we pick up everything we, and if it takes it, if we're playing orange, everybody's got orange on. Man, let's get in the orange game. Let's go. Let's march together. It's what it takes because it's about the Lord. William Wallace, everybody knows the name, right? If you've watched Braveheart, well, that movie made William Wallace, who was a warrior for Scotland, famous. But there are other people around that story that you may not know. One of the men that was opposed to William Wallace, his name was Robert the Bruce. I don't know why the the is there. Maybe it's like the Donald, but I don't know. But Robert the Bruce. He was opposed to William Wallace until he saw a man that stood for his country, not because it mattered, but because it mattered enough. It changed the mind of Robert the Bruce, and he himself became a catalyst for Scotland. Near the end of his life, Robert the Bruce said, here's, here's what I'm asking as my final request. When I die, be prepared, it's gross. I want you to take my corpse and I want you to carve into my chest and take my heart out. And I want you to embalm it and put it in a container. And I'm going to call to this nation, a leader. And when you go to battle, I want my heart, the heart of this king, going into battle. And he said, I pick a man, his name was James Douglas. I pick James Douglas. Come here. He came, he said, when I die, 
will you wear my heart around your neck when you're in battle? He said, yes, sir, I will. And so that's the way it went. Robert the Bruce died. They did exactly what he had asked. They carved his heart out. They embalmed it. It got Hearts get smaller when they're dead. I know, whatever. They put it in a, an encasement, a case. I promise you, I will not ask you this when I die. <laughs> I will say something like, go to Walmart and get a plastic heart. Just think of me when you're dying. <laughs> but they took the heart and they put it in this container. And when they went into battle, they wore the heart. James Douglas wore the heart of his king. Near the end of James Douglas's life, he was in a battle where they were outnumbered and he knew the end was there. They were surrounded and it wasn't looking good at all. And in that moment where they knew they were going to lose, Douglas took that container that had the heart of his king and ripped it from his neck and he looked across into the army of the mighty, the enemy. And he took it and he flung it into his enemy. And he looked back at his army and he said these words, Fight for the heart of the king. He elevated the army. And he said, Forward, brave hearts. That's where we get the name of the movie, by the way. To this day, that clan in Scotland has one word as their mantra. Forward. You see, we're not trying to make it to a personal finish line. I know so many Christians. That's all it's about. It's not. You are part of an army that is fighting for the heart of your king. When I walked on Dolly McDonald's campus or her property yesterday, I saw an army of men where it mattered enough. And they weren't there representing 360. They were representing the king of this universe. When we are tutoring, when we are caring, when we're in check this week, you are representing Christ. Rise up, brave Warriors, rise up. Forward, brave hearts. There are those who may spend an eternity away from God. It's your shot. It's your shot. Be the warrior that God has called you to be. Don't take it lightly. Church of God, may we elevate our thinking. Can we elevate our thinking? Because we fight for the heart of a king. Let's pray. God, thank you oh, for putting your finger on the chest of the church and asking us, does it matter enough does it matter enough to bury and give a funeral to whatever reason keeps us on the sideline 
and not bouncing. Does it matter enough to take inventory of our comfort, of our schedules, of our finances, of our hearts? Does it matter enough, God, to us, your church, to grow past our ineffective individualism? and see ourselves as an important foot soldier, a warrior in a massive army. And finally, God, does it matter enough that we fight for the heart of a king? whose name is Christ. Amen.